Welcome to an inspirational message by Pastor Harold Weiss, Senior Pastor at Little Falls Christian Center. And now, Heavenly Father, Your Word prevails over all darkness. Yes, indeed, heaven and earth will pass, but Your Word remains forever. We thank You that it's the Word of truth. None can withstand the truth of God. Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Let this Word find its way through every area of our life and our conduct all the days of our lives, enriching us in fruitfulness, in growing in in Christ Jesus, in all maturity of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God, to your glory and honor, through Jesus Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 16 and 6. This message is called The Vision. So let's find out what this is all about. Been with me now for weeks, and I had this, these scriptures rolling over in my head wherever I went. Acts 16 and 6. Now when they'd gone through Phrygia, or Phrygia, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Let me qualify that. Asia, which is really Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, is where you have the seven churches of the book of Revelation and places like Colossae and all little places, Antalea, the Paul planted church there, they were laboring in Asia Minor. But now the Holy Spirit forbids them to preach any further in Asia. The journey now goes westward. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And a vision, everybody say vision. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This vision is on a list. In fact, I have the list here with me, which I put together, 21 levels of prophetic revelation. This is number nine of the 21 levels. And it's called a closed vision. In other words, only the recipient experiences, as is often these days, it happens that a person gets a vision like this. And a man from Macedonia student pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now they were moving westward. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, 
we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the next day came to Neapolis. From there, we came to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. They have landed in a place called Philippi, all the way from the vision of Troas, now going westwards and up. They were now moving to the place where they landed in Neapolis. And um, it says here, a foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, Roman colony later on. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, now I must say this to you, in verse number 12, from this place called Neapolis, from there they went to Philippi. So the city of Target here is Philippi. Foremost city in that part of Macedonia, colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. The city is called Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city. It's like a few hundred meters of walk. Uh, to the riverside where prayer was customary made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia, the word Lydia means a pool of fresh water in the original language. She was a seller, she heard us, she was a seller of purple from the city of Theotere who worshipped God, the Lord, notice the Lord, opened her heart to heed. That means to absolutely pay attention, listen carefully with determination, and apply to one's mind what is being said here by the Apostle Paul. To heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, same word as the word for faith, to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Some say she was a Jewess. Some say that she was not. But the overwhelming thought around this woman by the name of Lydia is that she was a Jewess. And there were not all that many Jews in the city of Philippi. And so number two, or the next best would be for the Jews that were there to go out to the river, which was there on the side of the city. Like I said, one or two, three hundred meters away, there was the site where there was this river. Now they call it the river, um, but it's really similar to what comes down here from the mountain. It is, it is a stream some place going over rocky places, then some places going into deeper water and pools with coves. And there was like a cove, an inlet at the spot of this baptism of Lydia. And she heeded, paid careful attention, worked through a mind exactly what the Apostle Paul 
was said. Observing this man and the inspiration and his determination of this man in service of Almighty God. Now, it is interesting, the name Philippi, if you look at this word Philippi, it actually was by another name, it was called Crenides, Crenides, that was the original name for the place. And uh, then there was uh, an attack uh, of the surrounding population against that city, and there was a man called Philip the second of Macedon. Philip the second of Macedon, they cried out and said, come and help us. This young man, he was a young king when he became king, had been studying in the area of the military, had been studying in the area of uh, the diplomacy that you find within, in, uh, between states and, and areas uh, that you have polit politically kind of thing diplomacy, but also the military. So from a very young age, this hapless, useless, not meaning much army of Greece came to his attention, it was about 23, 24, started building that army from the age of 19 to there, when he became king, this is Philip II of Macedon. They called on him to come and help them in this city which was now besieged. And uh, then they said, come and help. And he said, I'm coming all the way. I'm going there because that place was the area of gold mines. It was known as the region of gold. So he went there quite happily to go there and it would end with him in a coffin. Only the Pharaoh Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun as they say, Tutankhamun. Only, he was only in terms of treasures second to Tutankhamun. When he died, his coffin was altogether gold. And they actually unearthed the whole place and found his coffin. But this is Philip II. He loved the place which was there that he had now helped. And he was now in charge there. And he stayed there. And it was ultimately converted in an absolute carbon copy of Rome itself in the Roman era. Now, with that being said, this Philip of Macedon changed the name of the city to Philippi. That's where it comes from. And it was, it was so rich in gold and wealth and gemstones of all kinds, that particular area. And there was the river also on the one side. There's more than one but the, one, the main river running on the north, northeast, north, northwest, shall I say, side of that city. When you go there, you walk a few hundred yards, and the Jews would go there as is customary to go and pray. So Paul goes that way. Let me say something to you. When Paul stepped into the city of Philippi, it's about the distance from here to my personal house, is about 14 kilometers to my house. And uh, when Paul stepped in there, it became the first church of the continental Europe. That is the first mother church of Europe. And the city would be so impacted by his ministry that for hundreds of years, 
Thereafter, it would become known as a Christian city. The impact of one man, his first church plant in Europe, got the whole of Europe so impacted that Christianity spread right throughout the continent of Europe, which is very interesting because um, we never know that when that man, we, we, I didn't particularly fully understood until I looked at the context, that this one person that God sent would change not only the city, but it would spread throughout Europe and Europe would be filled with churches and every other church that came to Europe, even in Rome, would follow after this one church. It was also the most populous part of Macedonia and Philip II also died there and someone else that was greater than Philip II took his seat. He was called Alexander the Great. He was the son of Philip of Macedon. Philip II, should I say. So Alexander the Great then went out, and you read all about him in the book of Daniel chapter number 8 and Daniel chapter number 11. In fact, all those chapters has to do with it from chapter number 8 about the Grecian Empire, what would come at the end of time, and of course, what would happen in the time of the Antichrist and where the Antichrist would precisely come from. Here's the Apostle Paul. When he set foot in that city, it would never be the same again. Now let's take a look at the city. The city is at the foot of a hill. It's a mountainous area. You have hills and mountains. It's at the foot of a longish mountain. So at the bottom of it, you have this church being planted. Paul would write the letter to the Philippians and you would understand that he had feelings concerning that church like he had for no other church. Because when he wrote, it was his baby. It was where he planted that thing. And from there, he would go on and plant more churches. But uh, it's interesting that if you look at the impact of this man, it was against the hill. You have the hill, and at the bottom of the hill, you have a church. There was a river. The river was not big at all. But there were places there. There were pools. There were some places, stones, and then pools. The area of the pools with a cove there is the area of the baptism of Lydia, whose name means a pool of fresh water or clear water, if you will. So, with that in mind, uh, this river became the place today they are still going there to be baptized. Here we are sitting at Little Falls Christian Center. Here's a hill. Here's a church at the base of the hill. There goes the river. How many people have been baptized in this place? Will you just raise your hands and do that? Right. See the parallel. And it struck me. I thought, wow, Lord, there was a day that I walked down the road through the gate in the front there. That piece of road coming in through the actual, that gate there, that piece of road is the original road. In, uh, in those days, they had the Via Ignatia, which is the Asian walkway road of the Roman Empire coming up from... Uh, uh, from the sea, seaside out there all the way uh, Antalya, Italia, uh, went, went up there towards the city of Philippi. And Paul, no doubt, walked that road. It was not very far, but he walked it. And they arrived there, and he was there with Silas. There was a lot of drama in that place. 
there's the hill, there's the church, there's the river. And if you go through past here behind Pick and Pay, you take that road to the left there, you go through like an area past the cars and things. They've got now all places there for selling cars. You'll find the river there. And you look down and you'll see pools there. Same thing. When I looked at it and studied the thing, it was exactly the same thing. Here we are repeating history in this place. And I need not tell you what kind of bond there is between you people and with myself. Because I walked that road, that very road there that's been preserved. And I looked and I saw a for sale board. And a company had gone broke. And they were busy liquidating. And they were desperate. And we bought this property for 265,000 rand. Now it's worth millions, obviously, given where it is. But when I walked there, there were no homes here. It was only farm area. This was the farm Volkievel number 49, and this was the original site where you have the city of Rudapurt, which is here, the area of the gold mines above there, Krugersdorp, gold area, okay? The gold of the country comes mainly from the Heifeld, and the region stretches. You can see the, the gold mine dumps out there at Krugersdorp. You see it behind us. Even here in this kloof here of the gorge here by Rudderport, you see there also there's some mines where people are trying to get gold close to this church. The parallel of history to me is so obvious, it's just not true. The impact of Little Falls Christian Center is for you to judge for yourself. It goes very far very wide now by this time. Now, having said all of that, I began to think about this and I began to meditate about this. And I said to myself, Lord, what is this? What was in the heart of Paul when he saw the baby city where he planted his first continental, the first church of Europe there, Philippi, and a beautiful place. You know, you want to be there even though you're not there. You know, it's just like beautiful. Paul goes on and he writes to these people. And in this part that he writes, you may now go to the book of the Philippians. And now you have got the background. And with that said, I'll spend the next few minutes talking about this man, Paul. Paul begins to write. He says, I am torn in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, but to remain here is more needful for you. Writes this to the Philippians. Now, you would write four what we call prison letters. They were Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon. He would write that in his captivity in Rome, where he was under house arrest at all the time in the world, to pen of the most dramatic books, like the book of Ephesians, is unbelievably strong. To pen some of the most dramatic books, the Colossian book, is filled with revelation. He would write it there from Rome. Now he writes to them in Philippi. And in his mind, he's got the clear picture. He's got the whole crowd there and the church there. He was there. Silas was there. Luke arrived. And Timothy went through there. They were all busy there in Philippi. The foundation was there. The root was planted. The tree was now growing. And so he says, here from Rome, I have a desire 
to depart and to be with the Lord, but to remain here is more needful for you. So he begins to write to them. And then he says his famous words, we can do nothing against the truth. And a wonderful thing he says, to you it has been given to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. To you it's given to receive that which has been delivered to me, I've given to you, he says. And uh, if we now look at this section of scripture, in chapter number two, he'd go on, and now he comes with a stunning, 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 what we call the kenosis, the emptying of the Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it, in Philippians chapter number two, to, who did not consider robbery to be called equal with God, or to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. Ultimately, to the death of the cross, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Chapter number three is the word that the Lord gave very clearly. We can move on to chapter four where he says these words, be, be, do not be fretful about anything, but let your requests in chapter number four, six be made known to God. All your petitions, all your requests in prayer be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall God of your minds and your hearts. It's a word for now, Philippians 3, 4, verse 6. But in 3, he says these words, verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, that word gain immediately signifies, I'm reading directly here from the dictionary, business gain got by work. In other words, whatever you've made in terms of money, he says, whatever things were gained to me. You know, they had a survey about who was the most influential, smartest, Time magazine, some years back, who was the smartest man that ever was in Europe? And they said, Number one on the list is the Apostle Paul. Now, we're not talking about the Lord Jesus here. That's outside of Jesus. Number one, Paul. And then they said, number two, John Calvin. But Paul came out tops as the smartest man. He could speak Roman. He could speak Grecian. He could speak Jewish. He could speak the language, had all the communication, all the education. Brilliant, brilliant, highly intellectual man. I battle sometimes with the construct of the Greek year. Uh, it's amazing what he puts into it. What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss. I have counted, that's like an accounting term there. I can count them now as loss. For Christ. Yet, verse 8, indeed I also count all things loss. All things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The excellence of the knowledge. Now, if anybody has a grip on that word excellence, because it really means special, spectacular. Uh, when it comes to, it is the highest order of knowledge that man on this earth can attain to is the knowledge of Christ Jesus who is in command of the entire universe and all of creation was made by him and in him all things consist. 
the most excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count all things lost for that. And then he says, for whom I have, I have suffered the loss of all things. I was thinking about that. How much did he have left in this world? How much bulk and stuff did he carry him? I wonder how much money was in Paul's bank account. I wonder if he even had a bank account. I doubt that. And count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness. That I'm self-righteous. Which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now he comes to the sentence, that I may know him, becoming intimately acquainted with him, and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. He's the most excellent one. The knowledge of him is the most excellent of knowledge. Smartest man in Europe since the days of Jesus ascending into heaven. Here he says, the most excellent of everything. Everything else I count as rubbish. But I want this knowledge. I want it. He writes it to the Philippians. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained or got hold of it, or achieved it, or got to the point that I have now graduated, so to speak, as far as that's concerned, or am already perfected. That means to reach the highest possible standard for all mankind in Christ Jesus. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That word laid hold means he seized me for as his own. Literally, and the Afrikaans of Taling said it, omdat ek ook dier Christus gegryp is. Literally, grabbed by God to do his will. I couldn't go any further in Asia, but I had to go into Europe. That's the story behind it. Brethren, I do not count myself, verse 13, to have apprehended, in other words, I have reached my point of finish or the finishing line, but this one thing I do, one of the key verses of my entire life I said on this platform, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You can do nothing about your past. You can do everything about your future. And reaching forward, to those things which are ahead, you can build a future. Can you say amen to that? And then he says, I press. I like that word where it says, he literally says, I pursue. I come into rapid motion forwardly, pursue the direction, follow eagerly with all endeavor, earnestly to acquire what I'm pressing on for, which is the highest call in Christ Jesus, the upward call in Christ Jesus. I press toward the goal of the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call, because God calls all of us upward. Now, just a little summary there, because I have a minute or two left. And just a little summary. He says, whatever is behind is behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Sufferings, difficulties, all the problematics suffered for Christ. They tried to stone him to death, but the people prayed over him and he rose up again and kept going. There would be all kinds of things that would happen to the Apostle Paul. But at one point he says, those things behind me, I count them as rubbish. The things of this world, whatever was my gain, whatever I could gain on this planet, and he had almost nothing except he had a cloak and he had the clothes he wore and he had some, some scrolls which he carried with him and he was busy writing Bible as far as he went. This man, Paul, said, I press on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Now he goes on. I'm nearly finished with this now. He says, Therefore, as many of us as are mature, everybody say mature, have this in mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Had a vision, made a move, and he pursued everything. From Rome, he would write this letter. He says, I press on. I am here in Rome. I'm in captivity. Remember me in my chains. It doesn't bother me. The past is the past. And do nothing about the past. But I keep on producing. And in prison time, he produced the four prison letters. And he now says to those people in Philippi, listen, I've got something ahead of me. I press on towards that goal. It's the upward call. Not the downward call. Not the things I gain here because he had nothing. He was in the prison then. They gave him a rented house and people were allowed to visit him. But he spent most of his time writing letters that the world would grasp and read for thousands of years. They would ultimately call him the smartest man. Now he says, now as many of you as are mature. And walking across in the United States, I thought to myself, now what is it when you are mature? Maturity is the total sum. Follow me now. Maturity is the total sum of the package of the Word of God to the measure of it coming into your life and being there and being here. That you now would act out in the presence of all. That would radiate that you're actually a Christian. Not secret service Christians, a Christian. By manner, by custom, by maturity. Not persuadable to compromise. I remember so many times in the past, Maud would know about this, when we were, I was working then in those days at the SABC. I was a senior officer in the SABC at the time. And they would have these, these little functions and parties. And the people now, very, very much those directors, the people that really had to push, and they were men and women of mean means, so did I say, they were very influential, these directors. And they would invite you to come along with them and to have just that little drink with them. You know, just let's have a glass of wine together, have some whiskey, have some brandy, have some this, that, the other. Oh, you can even do vodka if you wanted that. If you want to go that far in stupidity, you know. <laughs> do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. David Wilkinson, Wilkerson wrote a book called The Sipping Saints. 
Am I stepping on toes here? Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. What is the word excess? That means to lose, to cast off all restraint and self-control. And I saw men and women disappearing. Married women with married men committing adultery, disappearing down the passages. I saw that with my own eyes. And they would drink to a point and then come party behind a closed door somewhere in the office. You know what I mean. When you drink, you become so lacquer <laughs> that it doesn't matter. It's like when Moses came down the side of the mountain and he saw that the people were running naked. They were running without restraint. They'd thrown their clothes off with a golden calf. They shouted, that now was their God. Throw, would throw all their clothes off, running naked. And Moses came down and he smashed the Ten Commandments right there. Destroyed that thing and made them drink of the water of the river that was there at the, at the base of the mountain. Because when you drink, the Bible says therein is excess. Your character, have you seen people arriving at a party and they're all stiff, you know, sort of thing. Have a couple of beers like ourselves, buy a lacquer. <laughs> and it gets better and they start using bad language and telling bad jokes. And I see marriages go on the rocks. And we know about alcoholism. And we know how they get addicted to these things and people just that. Maturity in Christ Jesus. My grandfather said, let no drop of any form of strong liquor go into my, across my lips. He said these words. He was a farmer. He had six farms in the area of Aberdeen in the Cape. Between Aberdeen and Willemore up to as far as uh, what's that beautiful city? Grafrenet, where he married in Grafrenet, my grandmother. And they had people with, with, with fans, like in, in the Cape, providing for them air conditioning via those fans made of ostrich feathers. He built the church in Aberdeen. And when he died with a 1918 flu, they said to him, can we give you some aspirin? with some ginger and some brandy. And he said, I will not take a drop of strong liquor over my lips. He wrote a thing on the family picture. And he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today I stand here. Can you say amen? amen. So we all understand this one thing. Maturity is what we see in people. Immaturity is what we see in people. Lack of self-control is what we see in people. Anger. One man used to drink, and he would then go and take the shotgun and go and shoot the chickens in the backyard, literally. He literally did it. He was known, you know, he's such a clever man, that one. He was a medical specialist, highly educated. And then he would drink, and he would become very aggressive and take the shotgun and just go kill the chickens. Came back, so nothing happened tomorrow. He's back as a medical doctor, that man. I don't think he's alive a long time anymore. But as for you, what's the level of your maturity? What impact do you make in the city when you arrive? We are here at the base of a mountain. Here it is. There goes the river. 
Go look at it when you pass through that ditch there on the other side, where you pass over the river there, behind Pick and Pay, by the Nissan garage. Just go take a look there. You see, if you look that way, you see the pools of water. It was the baptismal site, like the baptismal site of Lydia. Amen? Ne, Yanni? Amen? So, Yanni, have you been to Philippi yet? You have been to Philippi. It's beautiful out there. Amen. Well, let's stand and give the Lord a praise offering. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a good praise offering now. Amen. Now, I can't wait for tonight because tonight I'm going to talk about the weapon. God's going to give you a weapon tonight that you didn't realize just how powerful that particular weapon is against the devil. And then there will be the ignition or igniting the fire, the winter fire of the Holy Spirit. It's never cold when the Holy Spirit comes into a place. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a praise offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you have every reason to be in church tonight because there's going to be a revival. Otherwise, you're going to have to pray for you. You're going to have to miss the revival. Amen. Look at somebody say, don't miss the revival. All right, we'll see tonight then. Father, I bless your people, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lift up his countenance over you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.